0: Some amazing outpourings here of the Holy Spirit And it's just been awesome The Lord is really moving in our church and our people And it's just very, very exciting And so this morning I felt led that I should speak on the Holy Spirit And specifically the baptism of the Holy Spirit And give us a little understanding of what's happening And what it really is the baptism of the Holy Spirit Now this is one of our fundamental doctrines actually um, We have 16 fundamental doctrines uh, 16 fundamental truths that make up our tenets of faith in the Assemblies of God. And, and the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is number 7 and number 8. In fact, that page that I'm asking Jenna to get, I've printed that out so that you all can have a copy of what that means. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, um, is that it's entitled to all of us. And then uh, number eight is that the the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And, uh, yeah, just pass them out if you would, Jenna. If, and uh, So while she's passing that out, um, I, I know that this message uh, or this topic amongst many believers creates a lot of tension and confusion. It, it just is one of those topics that is a lightning rod amongst various churches and various people. But I think the best way to explain the baptism of the Holy Spirit from a personal perspective is once you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit through a baptism, you will never, ever deny it. You will never say it's not true. Once you've experienced it and feel what it is to have God just flow through your body and flow through your lips and your tongue and just take control like that, it is the most awesome experience you could ever understand or comprehend. And what it does, too, for people, or for me, and I think it does for, for most people, is that it becomes a, a monument in your life where you look back at that time and you say, I remember the first time I spoke in tongues. And it gives you confidence and it gives you peace no matter what happens in your life, no matter how old you are or where you're at. You look back at that time and you remember that time, that experience, as the time where you really knew that God was your God. And you experienced Him fully the way He wanted to be experienced in your life. But that's not the end all, that's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of a true walk in the Holy Spirit is that initial filling with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and life and the power of the Holy Spirit is a daily experience. Every day we need to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. It is not a one-time event and say, I've done it and I've arrived. It is just the beginning. It's the gateway. It's the gateway to a life of victory. It's a gateway to a life of full um, embodiment of living a Spirit-filled life. So with all that said, it is very also important to note that it is not a requirement for salvation. So I don't want anyone to think that we say that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved. That's not true. Salvation is its own separate experience, and it is the experience that gives you entrance into heaven. You do not have to be filled and baptized and speak in tongues to go to heaven. So don't think that i don't want anyone to think that we're promoting this as a doctrine of new faith it's not what gets you to heaven is your belief and acceptance of jesus christ the the, what he did for you on the cross and that he forgave your sins because of the sacrifice of what he did and in all honesty it's important to note as well that unless the holy spirit draws a man he will never be saved so at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit does take residence in your life. The Holy Spirit is in a person's life at the moment of salvation. But that is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's two separate things that happen. There is a salvation experience that the Holy Spirit is a part of. absolutely Not a part of. He is absolutely necessary a part of it. He draws the men. It's the Holy Spirit's conviction that brings us to Christ in the first place. It's the Holy Spirit that brings the conviction in our heart that we're sinners. It's the Holy Spirit's conviction in our hearts that says, I need Jesus to save me from my sin. Because we can very easily in our life sear the conscience. And so it's not an issue of, do I feel it? It's an issue of, does the Holy Spirit convict me of it? And when the Holy Spirit convicts, he draws all men to Jesus. That's what, his, that's what his purpose is. The Holy Spirit was given when Jesus left. Jesus had to ascend to heaven to where he's now standing or sitting at the right hand of the Father. But when he left, he said, I will send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Paraclete. He will be your guide. He will be your counselor. He will be my agent on earth, and his role is to draw all men to Jesus. And and what happens then is that the Holy Spirit draws men to Jesus. Jesus then draws all men to the Father because Jesus is praying to the Father on our behalf. And then Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. And I'm getting way ahead of myself here. I'm just summarizing. But we're going to talk about this in a little more detail as well. But it it is a wonderful experience, and it is an experience for all people today. It is not given to just a chosen few. The, the gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for a chosen few. It is for all people, for all generations, for all race, for all creeds, for all nationality, for all genders, for all ages. It's for everybody. Everybody can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the power thereof. And I'll prove that to you as we go through the message here through Scripture. This is just not my idea. This is what the Scripture says. I have a video that I want to play. Larry, we're going to go to 2B. Um, it's a seven-minute video that is put together by the, by the Assemblies of God denomination. It's a very well-done video that is going to explain to us what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and hopefully in terms that we can associate with. So we're going to watch this video, and then we'll come back in a few minutes and talk more.
1: This is cold. For nearly 50 years, coal has been used in our country to generate the lion's share of electricity for our homes, businesses, and industry. This electricity has provided us with power for lighting, heating, cooling, cooking, washing, communicating, entertaining. Well you get the idea. Simply stated, electricity is essential in providing for the many needs and amenities we enjoy in America. Here at this power plant, every few days a string of coal cars arrives packed with coal from out of state. When the coal arrives, it drops through the bottom of each car into this unloading station. From here it travels by conveyor belt, where it is piled and sized for processing. The coal is then moved to a mill station, where it is ground into a fine powder and used as fuel to fire a huge furnace chamber, heating it to over a thousand degrees. Here in the chamber, water courses through a grid of boiler piping and is superheated to create an intense steam. The steam is then piped into a large turbine engine for the pressure from the steam rotates the mechanical turbine, turning the electrical generator. As the generator spins, molecules move and charge, creating electricity. That electricity is then transferred to the switch yard just outside the plant For it's distributed to a number of substations throughout the region and then on to homes and businesses, supplying them with power. When you think about it, the process for generating electrical power has many similarities to the process we must all follow as Christians for having spiritual power. When we receive Christ at the moment of salvation, we become a new creation. The Holy Spirit indwells our being and resides in us. And at that moment, we're given a great resource. But like any resource, if it's going to be helpful, it's got to be processed and put to use. Take this lump of coal. It's of little value if I just stand here and hold it. But if you process it and put it to use, it can be a great tool, as we've seen. It's the same for us as believers. If we have the Holy Spirit inside us and we never tap into His power, we miss a great opportunity to do more and reach the full potential God offers us beyond our own gifts and talents. Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These final words of our Savior describe a powerful experience that we as Pentecostals hold dear. It's described in many ways in the Bible, but Jesus and others called it the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He also called it the promise of the Father. One of the things we need to realize is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for every Christian. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were all filled with the Spirit. Peter told the crowd on that day that that promise was for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Even as many as the Lord himself shall call. Friend, Peter was talking about us. All of us who are in Christ Jesus. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is a separate experience, of that follows salvation. It is not a requirement for salvation, but it is a benefit that every member of the body of Christ can enjoy. So the Holy Spirit baptism is not a requirement of salvation for the non-Christian, but it is an empowering experience for the Christian so that they can be supernaturally equipped. The book of Acts demonstrates a very clear-cut pattern. The Holy Spirit baptism occurs only after someone has truly accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, the Holy Spirit is present during this process, for He is the convicting agent that draws someone to Jesus and baptizes him into Christ. But there is another experience that is different than and subsequent to salvation, and that's where the power of the Holy Spirit is so very real. With that experience comes intimacy, where we want to live a righteous, holy life. And also, there comes a power to witness. One of the things I've learned in being here at this plant, that creating power is really a noisy business. The fire stokes, the pressure bills, the turbine whines, the generator rumbles, believe me, it's noisy. But it's all part of the process. Isn't that just like the Spirit? The historical record of the book of Acts shows that the baptism is always accompanied by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. On the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Spirit and spoke in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. This recurring sign of Acts is the initial physical evidence of the Holy Spirit and a sign that one has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. To me personally, I view the baptism much like this furnace chamber here at the plant, or for that matter, like a steam kettle on a stove. When the water gets hot and begins to boil, there's no it. It's going to be released, and with it will come a sound. So it is with our spirit. When we approach God in brokenness, with a heart full of love for God, and our mouths filled with thankfulness for His wonderful gift of salvation, there come a point when we're full, and our spirit cannot be contained. Now, out of this baptism process, we're empowered beyond our own capabilities. We're virtually immersed in the Spirit of God and His presence. Human timidness is gone, and we're filled with confidence to share the gospel. There's this desire to live a holy life, to be more Christ-like, to live beyond our capabilities. There's a desire to read the Word. There's a desire to be a greater disciple. And there's this desire to help others. The day we accepted Christ, we were given a great opportunity, the power of His Spirit, unleashed through baptism in our lives with power to live, to serve, and to win others for all eternity. Friends, let's not squander it. I don't know about you, but my prayer is, Lord, send the wind.
0: Amen. At this time, children can be dismissed to Children's Church if you'd like to. Um, My wife's going to go, so uh, you'll have a lot of fun with my wife at Children's Church. Thanks, Chris. What we see in that video is that God does not discriminate among people that only some should be saved and that some should be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Lord wants all to be saved. He wants all men to be saved. And he wants all men to experience the power of the salvation and all the experience of the Holy Spirit. Why would God give a gift to some and then would he not want them to take it? Think about it. You as a dad or a mother... You have gifts you want to give your children. Wouldn't you be a little disappointed if your children didn't accept the gifts that you gave them? So God has this gift of the Holy Spirit that he wants all men and all women and all children and grandparents and all people to have. Why? Because it allows us to be solid Christians. It it gives us a supercharge, if you will. And it doesn't make us, what's so interesting about the Holy Spirit, and this is the thing I think that get a lot of people, this is where the enemy works, I think, in the Holy, with this Holy Spirit baptism thing. It does not make me better than Joe. That's where the thing becomes an issue. It's because it's almost like you either have it or you don't. Then people start comparing people amongst people. It doesn't make me better than Joe. What it makes me is better than what I was before I had the experience. So I have to focus on myself in all things. I should never compare myself to Joe or to Joanne. I should compare myself to Mike. And when I have the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in me, it makes me better than what I was prior to that experience. And a great example of that is Peter. Peter just prior to the day of Pentecost, we see Peter being in the garden, or in the, you know, in the garden uh, with Jesus, as Jesus was going to be betrayed, and a week in his prayer, because the Lord said three times, "Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me? Will you pray with me?" And three times Peter fell asleep, and the other couple of disciples fell asleep. And then we see Jesus in the courtyard of the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus told Peter, he said, You will deny me three times before the cock crows. And Peter said, Not I, Lord, not I. I'll die with you. But here it was. Here was Peter that couldn't pray. And now we get Peter in the, in the courtyard. And here's the crucifixion time. And here's the trial of Jesus. And, and there are three times, one time a little girl, came up to Peter, a little girl, came up to Peter and says, you're one of them, you're one of them, you're Jesus' follower, and Peter denied him. It happened three times. The third time, I can imagine when Jesus looked over at Peter and they, caught, they met eyes and, and the cock crowed, I could imagine what happened to Peter when he realized what he had just done. All right, so that's Peter. Timid Peter, big mouth, but timid. A lot of, a lot of talk, but no meat. A lot of air in Peter. Now, Jesus dies, he's resurrected, he comes back, he spends 40 days with, the, with his disciples, he restores Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Three times, if you love me, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, not ships, I'm not talking about Paul, I'm talking about Peter, um, Paul Glassover that is, um, Man, I wish that filter would kick in sooner. I don't know why it happens that way. Uh, All right, so now Jesus says, Now go to Jerusalem and wait. Go there and assemble. 120 people went in and assembled in the upper room. And Jesus said, Go and wait. I am going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Nobody knows what this baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to be about. They've never experienced it before. They have no idea what to expect no idea what to expect but here they are 120 people in obedience follow jesus's command and go to jerusalem and they tarry there and they wait there and they go in this large upper room and they wait 10 days a 10 days is a long time we have a hard time waiting for the preacher to get on speaking in 45 minutes imagine 10 days Waiting here, waiting and waiting and waiting, and they waited, and to the point they were in one accord, and when they were in one accord, the Holy Spirit fell, and we'll talk about that i'm really messing up my notes here we're, we'll we'll get there, but as the Holy Spirit fell, they were all filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they all spoke in other tongues, to the point that they felt that they all flowed out of the room, out out into the streets, and there was at least 14, maybe 15 different languages from other people that were in there because this was the Passover time and this was a time where people were come. There was a lot of people from different dialects from all different languages were there. And these 120 people fell out in the streets speaking in other tongues. And people were saying, why are these Jews speaking in my language? They don't know my language. They're speaking in my language without an accent, perfectly cognizant new languages. And Some even came and said well. They're drunk. They're drunk. They're drunk with wine and then Peter finally stood up and said no wait guys. It's nine o'clock in the morning Right, and they're not drunk In fact if they were drunk, why would they be speaking in your language does drunkenness give you a foreign language? If that was if that was the way to learn Spanish There'd be a lot more sales of beer <laughs> But that's not how you learn new languages. So it didn't even make any sense that they would even say that because it doesn't make any sense that just because you're drunk, you're speaking in a new language that people can understand. So Peter then, and the significance of all this is this. The power that Peter had to witness and to preach changed his life because he then there preached a message that was filled with the power of the holy spirit and three thousand people came and were saved and baptized and were added to the church that day so here a few days before peter was weak and stumbling and was saying things he couldn't put up with or couldn't do and now we have with the power of the holy spirit in peter's life he's a new man he's a bold man The Holy Spirit's operating in him, working with him, and filling him with knowledge that Peter didn't really have and just gave him a whole new perspective. And that is what the Holy Spirit does for me. It doesn't make me better than Joe, but it gives me a boldness. It gives me a new desire to witness. It gives me a new desire to stand for Jesus and and stand strong for what I believe because I know the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. And that is so much more than just speaking in tongues. We get hung up on the tongues, and that's where it gets hung up at. Understand that is just the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. It's like I go into a grocery store, and I buy a bunch of stuff, and I get a receipt. The receipt isn't what I bought. It's just proof that I bought it. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues, is not the power. It's just the proof that I have it. Now I have to live every day in it, and I have to let it continue to let me grow and mature, as we've been talking about in the Sunday school class the last number of weeks, is that we're, we're, we're on a lesson of Christian maturity and Christian spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit helps us grow, and it helps us mature. We are also told that we should be water baptized. Now, water baptism is another requirement or another uh, uh, command that Jesus gave every man. To be saved, water baptized and baptized in water. And what's interesting about water baptism and Holy Spirit baptism is that they have some parallels. Water baptism is a baptism of the outside of the man. It is a complete submersion in water. Where you are dying with Christ, you're being, you're being submerged in the water, and symbolically what that is is that you are, you're, you're being buried in your sin and you're coming up a new man washed and your sin is washed off. And that is symbolically of what water baptism is. The proof that you've been water baptized is that you're all wet. The proof is your hair's messed up, if you have hair, Andre, sorry, buddy. But, if, if, or but your clothes are all messed up and you're all disheveled. That's proof that you're all wet. That's proof that you are water baptized. Holy Spirit baptism is a baptism of the inside. It is a baptism of the heart. It is a baptism of the inner man. The proof that you are Holy Spirit baptized is the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. Because no man sees the heart. I can't see your heart. You can't see my heart. So so God recognized in his his all-knowingness that he had to give some evidence of this second experience. And that that evidence of that second experience of baptism of the inner man, the receipt of that is the initial evidence of speaking in tongues. That's what it said in in Acts in multiple places in the Bible. Whenever you see the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's always experienced either with a direct word or an inference that there was another tongues exhibited at that moment. So it's important that we recognize that. Jesus said, or, uh, John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John the Baptist is talking about Jesus. Men baptize, water baptize men. Pastors or other leaders perform the actual water baptism function. Jesus is the baptizer of men in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. So the unity there—it's amazing that the Trinity, the Godhead, is all involved. We're all involved. Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, who then is chasing after God. God the Father is the ultimate. We pray to God through the through Jesus. We don't. And, and we. God is our focus. Jesus then is lifted up by the Holy Spirit to draw all men, unto, all men unto God through the forgiveness of sins. And then Jesus is the baptizer of people in the Holy Spirit. So the unity is fully engaged. Now, there are many believers that say that this experience or this baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for them. And they cite cite a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read this because I want to make sure that we clearly understand the difference between this scripture and what the Holy Spirit is talking about for all men. If you turn in your Bible to 1 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 11, it says this. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between gifts between spirits. To another speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. All right, now we've just listed nine gifts of the Spirit. And these gifts of the Spirit are individually given to certain people in the function of the church. This is how people operate in a corporate setting. Not everybody has the gift of tongues and interpretations. That is given to certain individuals as the Spirit determines. All right? So that, that example of the gift of the Holy Spirit and tongues and interpretation is in a corporate setting, and that is for specific individuals. The problem that people have taken is that they've taken that Scripture and they've misapplied it, and they say, well, that means that not everybody should speak in tongues. No, that's not true. That's not true. Because it says further, in, or it says in Acts chapter 2, let's read that. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. They were on one accord. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest, and each of them, all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. All of them, not just a 10% of the 120, all of them were filled. Also in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise, as it's also called, the gift of the Holy Spirit, or the promise, is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call so it is not limited so the gift of the whole baptism of the holy spirit is not just for a select few to be used in a corporate setting this gift this experience of the holy spirit is for all people and this is where it's a personal becomes a personal prayer language that you use personally not necessarily in a corporate setting and that's that's the big difference we need to understand that the holy spirit is for all people it's not for anybody that's not different from anyone else. It's not, it is not a unique experience. It's a leveler, quite honestly. It's a, it's, a, it's a unifier because every believer can experience the Holy Spirit regardless of his or her position in the church, age, gender, or economic status. It doesn't make any difference. And it brings unity in the body that we all can have this amazing power and this amazing relationship with God on equal footing. No one is better than anyone else or or has unequaled access. We all have the same access to the throne of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The enemy, however, wants to keep us from this realization. The enemy does not want us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you that right now. If you have... If you have concerns about this, if you have the things that rise up within you, if you have a fear in you, if you have something that says, too much, can't handle that, it's not for me, that's not coming from the Lord. That's coming from the enemy. Understand that. Because the enemy knows that people that are truly chasing after God and truly finding the power of what this is, They are powerful, and they are effective, and they will conquer the enemy. So the enemy will keep this from you. He will keep you away from this. He will keep you afraid of it, and he will keep you at at arm's length. And he'll say, no, I don't want that. But like we said at the beginning of this, God our Father loves us so much. He has all these gifts for us. He wants to bless us with these gifts. And if we are his children, why wouldn't we want everything that God has for us? Why wouldn't we want everything that God has for us? I heard a man in this say that in this church just recently. I just want everything that God's got for me. I just want everything that God's got for me. And what a witness that is. And what a blessing that is when we understand that. Now, Paul, we find, was a major user, if you will, of this heavenly prayer language. This is the prayer language that Paul used privately. Now, Paul had both gifts. Paul could give... uh, I'm sure Paul could give tongues and interpretations because of who he was in his stature and of his position in the church, but also he used his personal heavenly prayer language, and he used it a lot. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're told, beginning at 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, that's not prideful. That's just, that's just Paul. Okay, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church... I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So what he's saying is I have this personal revelation. I have this personal experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's with heavenly prayer language, but I don't abuse it by overusing it in a public setting because it doesn't edify people in a public setting. So he uses it wisely and discriminately. So how was Paul using this heavenly language and why did he pray so much in it? And then why do you have it? And why would you want to pray so much in it? Let me read to you what comes out of some of the teaching that I've had on this. It says, Paul is inferring here that praying in tongues or this heavenly prayer language activates the human spirit in prayer. In distinguishing the spirit from the mind, Paul no no doubt means the spirit is in the inner collection of all thoughts, needs, and feelings that cannot be expressed adequately through formal language. There are times when we may not know how to pray in a situation or when we are prompted by the Spirit to pray for someone without knowing why. At these times, praying in the Spirit allows us to bypass our human minds and pray as directed by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says this, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. That's Paul speaking in Romans. Now, we know from other teachings that we've had on prayer here is that the prayer that God answers is the prayer that lines up with his will. All right? God's not going to answer my prayer if it doesn't line up with his will. I can say, Lord, I really want this thing. I can really want a new pink Cadillac. But if God says, Mike, I don't want you to have a pink Cadillac. It doesn't line up with my will for your life. He's not going to give me a pink Cadillac. But if I say, Lord, I really need a white Impala, and he says, you know what, that lines up, I'm going to give you a white Impala. Or he might give me a white Cadillac. He just might not like the color pink. I don't like pink either. But the point is, is that the Lord gives us, he answers the prayers that line up with his will. Now, if we just read here that he, in verse 27, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will, Understand that the prayers that are prayed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit or in that heavenly prayer language are lining up with God's will. Therefore, those prayers will be answered according to God's will. Do you want your prayers answered? Line your life up with God's will. Pray in the Spirit, and your prayers, your life, will be according to God's will. It's very simple. It's not difficult. It's just discipline on our end to do it, to make sure that we're lining our life up with God's will, make sure that we're not living a life of ill repute, make sure that we're not living a life of what we think we should live and then expect God's blessing. No, line your life up with God. Line your life up with God's will. Be filled with the Spirit and pray according to the Spirit and then let Him watch, let Him work in your life and watch what He does. It's an amazing thing. That's why I get excited. That's why I get a little emotional. That's why I get a little bit passionate sometimes. And other people do too. You know the people. You've experienced it. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, we also know that this heavenly prayer language is a very, is a very effective tool for our spiritual warfare. It's a very proactive tool in spiritual warfare. Because when I pray in my human language... Understand everything that I say the enemy understands I don't care if I know Chinese the enemy understands Chinese every human language the enemy knows So when I pray in my, my With my mind in my language in my earthly language the enemy hears my prayers Okay now let's Let's read about this because what's so what you would say so what Mike? he know he so what well The the enemy can bring um, delays to prayers that are answered, or he could even give misdirected answers. Why do I know that? Well, let's look in your Bible to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding... And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. This is an angel speaking to Daniel. But the prince of the Persian kingdom <clears throat> resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes princes or one of the archangels, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now, the king of Persia is a demonic entity. It's a demonic spirit that was over the, the area of Persia, and so what happened here is Daniel prayed. Daniel prayed to God, and as soon if the, then this angel is saying now, the moment you prayed, Daniel, God heard your prayer. He sent me to answer your prayer. He sent me to give you the answer, but I was detained for 21 days, for three weeks. I was detained in battle with the demonic forces here on earth because they knew what my mission was. They knew that I was on a mission from God. And the, the, the demonic forces kept me in battle for 21 days until Michael, the archangel, came and helped me bust through the fortress. Then I came and answered your prayer. Now, I don't understand that. I don't know why God allows demonic situations to happen like that and it's not debatable. It doesn't it's not going to do you any good to try to figure out why this would happen. Just accept the fact that's what the Bible says, that that's how it works. So when I pray in the, my heavenly prayer language, it says in First Corinthians oh, it also says the devil can also come in false pretenses and give us misdirected information. So let's look about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13 to 14 says For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So Satan can come in many different forms. He doesn't always come as the little red guy with the tail and a pitchfork. You know, he comes in whatever form he can come to manipulate your situation. And he might come in a false direction. He may come with a false answer. He may come as an angel of light to you, thinking that this is from God. Well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps you do a couple things. Number one, it helps you discern what is really coming from God or not coming from God. It gives you the spiritual discernment and the heavenly wisdom to understand what's in my mind. Because understand, whatever comes in your mind may or may not be spiritual. There are two types of wisdom. There's a heavenly wisdom, and there's an earthly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom comes from God, and earthly wisdom comes from Satan. And as you pray, if you're praying in your human language, for example, the devil can answer a prayer, he can put something in your head that may not be from spiritual wisdom. So the Holy Spirit discernment then comes and says, you know what, I hear that, I see that, but that's not right. It doesn't line up with God's Word. And it gives me the discernment then to understand, was that a true answer to prayer or not an answer to prayer? That's one reason. The other, the other thing that he can't do is that he can't just full-blown just give you a wrong answer. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. So when I pray in my heavenly prayer language, it is giving me the ability to, to talk directly to God without the enemy knowing what I'm talking about. It is an opportunity for me to speak in my heavenly language that only God understands. And so I'm speaking up to him, and I'm speaking in my heavenly prayer language, in my prayer closet, and the enemy's sitting around me thinking, what in the world is he saying? What's going on here? I'm losing control. I'm losing control because I don't have any idea what's, being, what's, what's happening in the spiritual realms now. And now God can give me answers. He can, send me, he can send angels. He can send answers to me that are unhindered because the enemy is taken out of the equation. That's power. That's power, folks. That's why we need to have this. That's why we need to have it. Because it's power. So, with all of this, how do we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How do we receive it? There are three major precursors, if you will, to receiving the Holy Spirit. Three major areas of life that need to be in order to receive the promise of God as this is referred to. Number one is obedience. Number two is unity. And number three is prayer. Okay, let's talk about these briefly. I know it's 12 o'clock, but please hang with me because this is important and I want to get through this. Number one, obedience. Obedience is absolutely necessary if we're going to receive anything from the Lord. And in order to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this is not an exception. To receive a blessing from the Lord, obedience is absolutely necessary, and that blessing can be any blessing, by the way, not just a baptism. But we need to make sure that our life is lined up. Also, I want to. This is also some some of the learning instruction that I've been given. This is the quote from this particular passage. It says the relationship between obedience and blessing is a theme in Scripture. Two widows were blessed by Elijah and Elisha because they obeyed. They obeyed the the command of the prophets. And that's given. And if you want to write this down, I invite you to write these down. Go at your own leisure and read these scriptures so you know what I'm talking about, that it's true. 1 Kings chapter 17 and 2 Kings chapter 4 are the examples of Elijah and Elisha. The lepers were cleansed because they obeyed Jesus, as given in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 14. Again, write these down if you want to go back and research this. Saul received his sight because he obeyed. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Those are just three examples of how God works through obedience. The disobedient missed the good things that God has planned for them. Did you hear that? The disobedient miss the good things that God has planned for them. And here are some scripture references for that: Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14; Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14; and then also Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 through 39; 23, 37 through 39; and then Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Those are examples. of where it talks in the word of God that the disobedient miss the good things that God has planned for them. So obedience is a vital key of all blessings from God. The wise obey God and receive his goodness. Those that waited in the upper room were instructed to go there and wait until such time the gift was given. They were given a clear set of instructions to follow. Acts chapter 14, verses 4 through 5, says this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them, do not leave Jerusalem. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. My father promised obedient if they would have left Jerusalem. If they would have said, oh, we're not going to pay attention to Jesus. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We're going to do our own thing. They would have missed. They would not have been part of that experience if they would not have obeyed the command that Jesus gave. All right. Simple theology. Obey the Lord. Simple theology. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. Acts chapter 5. Write that down if you want to. Acts chapter 5, verse 32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So simple obedience is all that is required in our lives to receive that God, what God has for us. It's really a very good trade. Obey and be blessed. Obey and be blessed. It's not hard. Okay, number two, unity. Unity is absolutely vital. Corporately, it's vital if we're going to have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit corporately. And it's important personally. And I'm going to talk about that. Let's read this. This is also out of some of the teaching I've had. When you tie two cats together by the tails, you may have a union but you don't have unity. Can you imagine that? You take the tails of two cats tied together, and they may be in union, but they're not in unity. Which one's going to win? The strongest cat. The Church of Jesus Christ is often like that. People may be all together in union, their names are all in a membership role. They're all in the contribution record, but there are differences, bad feelings, hidden agendas, and turf to protect. The church must get past that. We must rise above our differences by offering forgiveness and love. We must truly be reconciled in Christ. That's the definition of unity of the body. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, in the New King James Version, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were in unity, and the Holy Spirit fell. Amen. The obedience of all of Jesus' followers led naturally to a state of unity. 120 stayed together for 10 days in a large upper room until the Holy Spirit fell on them, and they were all baptized. What an experience that must have been. What an experience that must have been. All right, number three. Prayer is the life of the church. Wait, before I, I want to come back to this. The other part of unity needs to be unity of my personal life with the Lord. I can say that I have Christ in my life. I can profess that. But unless it becomes a confession In my life, I'm really not in unity with the Lord. I have to have a clear relationship, an unhindered relationship with the Lord. This is not perfection. This is forgiven. This doesn't mean you have to be a perfect person because there is no such thing as a perfect person besides Jesus Christ. What this means is you have to be forgiven. Now, how do you how do you get forgiven? How do you do this? I think this is very important because this is where most most people lose out on so much of what God has for them. Because we live in our past. And there is this thing called guilt that condemns us all the time. And I could ask to be forgiven. But I must really receive God's true forgiveness. How do you do that? Let me give you an example. Let me give you a process. I think this is really going to help a lot of people. It helps me. I know that I sin. And I know that there's sin in my life. And I may not always be able to identify that sin, by the way, because I am like every other man in this room, and in this world, have the ability to sear my conscience so that I can't just go on what I feel is sin. Because if I do things over and over and over again, by the it's not long and I don't feel that's a sin. So I must line myself up with the word of God and make sure that I'm watching my life according to the word of God, not by my feelings. Right, so that's number one. I must make sure that I recognize that there is sin in my life, and I and it's just it's my natural state. It's even if I've been renewed, even if I've been saved, I still struggle with sin. Paul struggled with sin. We all struggle with sin. So let's recognize that. How do you get rid of the the guilt, the condemnation? Is that you acknowledge your sin. The devil is very sly. The devil doesn't want you to know that you're acknowledging your sin. Because if you don't acknowledge your sin, then how can you be forgiven of that sin? So the devil doesn't want you to do that. He wants to keep you blinded and deceived to your sin so that you don't even know what to ask forgiveness for. So the best way to do that is to pray out loud. Go by yourself someplace and just pray out loud and say, Father, Jesus, I'm coming to you right now because I'm a sinner, and there's sin in my life, and I'm not hiding anything from you because you already know there's sin in my life. And I want to pray aloud right now, so I want all the demonic enemies right now. I want Satan, I want everybody here, I want Satan listen to me. Listen to me, Satan. Listen to me, demons. I acknowledge the sin in my life. I, I'm not hiding from you either. I acknowledge that. And the reason it's important for me to acknowledge that is that he, then, he can't take that and use it against me later because I've already acknowledged it. And so now I say, Lord, now with that sin I have, I'm asking you, Jesus, to forgive me. I'm asking you because I know what you did on the cross. I know what you did when you died on the cross, your blood was shed, it was for the forgiveness of my sins. So now I'm taking all this sin right here, and I'm going to give it to you. Devil, do you see what I'm doing? I'm taking my sin, and I'm giving it to Jesus. So you can never use this against me again, devil, because I'm asking to be forgiven. Therefore, I'm taking all my secrets, and I'm laying them at the foot of the cross. And I'm saying, Jesus... Devil, I acknowledge who I am. I acknowledge that I need to have Christ in my life every day. Every day I need to do this. Every day, because I don't always know the sin that I've committed. Some say you do. I don't believe that. I know there are things in my life that creep up on me. The filter doesn't come on quick enough. I say things, they slip out, and I may not be convicted of it because maybe I've said those things so many times. I don't know. All I know is the safe thing to say is I'm confessing my sin. And therefore, when I do that, I'm keeping myself in unity with God. I'm keeping myself in unity with the Holy Spirit. There is no separation. There is no disturbance. There is no blockage of my relationship. And that's what's so important about receiving a continual power of the Holy Spirit, is that we keep our life pure. Not perfect, pure. Forgiven, pure. Forgiven, Pure, not perfect. I can't be perfect. I can't put that expectation on you. I can't put it on me. I'm forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Now, number three is prayer. Prayer is the life of the church. The Christian life and the church cannot be built on programs, no matter how wonderful they are. Prayer is the only way a believer or a group of believers submits to the Lord and depends on his will and his leadership. Luke says in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They lived in an attitude of prayer, and so should we. If God is going to be a continual part of my life, then I need to be in a continual act of prayer. If God is going to be a continual part of my life, then I need to be in a continual act of prayer. Does that mean that I'm a monk? Absolutely not. I have to live. I have to work, I have to have a relationship with my wife, I have to have a relationship with my kids. That doesn't mean that I just sit in church all day and pray. What it means is that I'm in a continual state, I'm in a continual attitude of prayer, I'm making sure that my relationship with the Lord is always open and clear, and I live in that attitude of prayer that I can come to Him at any time with my request, because I have no guilt, because I'm constantly praying, I'm constantly communicating, the relationship is alive, it's going back and forth constantly. That's the attitude of prayer that we must walk in and we must live in. So as we conclude today, Jackie, if you would come, please. As a person walks in obedience, when they are in unity with the group and also with God, first of all, we need to be in unity with God so that we can be in unity with others. And when we live in an attitude of prayer, that person... When he asks, will receive. That person, when he asks, will receive. And we don't need to make it any more complicated than that. We don't make, We don't have to put any hocus pocus to it. We don't have to. We don't have to say. We don't have to put any formula to it. We don't have to put anything to it to say. Come up here, and we're going to give you the words to, to repeat, and then you're going to be speaking in tongues. No, 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 no. That's man. That's man, and that, that's so damaging. What, that, what we need to do to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit is be obedient to Christ, to be in unity with Him, and then pray. And when you just pray, you need, you're, here's your part. You need to be active in this part. You need to speak. Many people will come up to be, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're afraid to open their mouth. They're afraid to use their vocal cords. What's not going to happen, this is not a possession. This is not something coming against your will. This is not a demonic possession that all of a sudden you're going to be breathing on the floor and you're going to be screaming and foaming from the mouth and you're going to be doing all this weird stuff. No, that's not it. That's demonic possession. What the Holy Spirit says, I want to give you a gift. Do you want to receive it? And if you want to receive it, you say yes, and then speak. Let the Lord use your vocal cords. Let him use your tongue. Let him use, your, let him use what you speak with. You speak with your mouth. Let him use it. And that's all that's required. It's not hard. Now, I know some have struggled, and I know that. And I'm not putting any condemnation. I'm not putting any blame. I know there have been people that have prayed for a long, 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 long time to be filled with the Holy Spirit. My encouragement to you is just keep on asking. Keep on asking. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't think that you're bad. Don't think that you're wrong. Just keep on asking, and eventually the Holy Spirit will fill you. So this morning, if you'd stand with me, we're going to sing a song. And if you want to ask, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit this morning, I'm going to open up the altars. And I'm just going to say, come down in front, and let's just pray. No pressure. You're not going to be embarrassed. We're just going to ask the Lord to fill you with the Holy Spirit. If, you, if you're if you saved, first of all, you must be saved. Do you have an experience with Jesus Christ? Is Jesus living in your heart? If he is, then you're a candidate to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you will be able to experience this heavenly prayer language every day. And when you get filled... It may not come out as a fluent language. It may come out with a few syllables, and it might sound you might think you're sounding kind of weird. That's okay. That's what it's all about. It's humility, laying our pride down. You're not fluent in French the first day you speak French. You have to stumble over the words a little bit. You're not going to be fluent in your baptism and your heavenly language for a while. You're going to practice it. And then when you do get filled, it's so important that you practice it every day. Don't make it a one-time experience. Tomorrow, get yourself together quietly before the Lord and say, Lord, refill me. Refill me. Let it come back. Let me keep exercising that. Let my language develop. Let it develop so that I have this heavenly prayer language when I need it. Amen. Let's sing. If you, want to, if you want to come in and pray, if you want to come in and recommit yourself, if you want to come in and say, Lord, refill me, come in. Let's get refilled. If you want to come in for the first time, let's do that too. But the the altars are open, and I just encourage you to enter in and receive what the Lord has for you this morning. Amen. Let's sing, Jackie. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you, Father, for the way you've ministered to us throughout this whole day. And I pray, Lord, that your word would not go void today. I pray, Lord, that it would settle into our hearts. Let us all receive, Father, from what you have for us, from your mighty storehouse. Lord, that the floodgates of heaven would fall open on us all week long, I pray. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. We love you, Jesus. Give us a great week.